This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 162, Real Estate Investing and Bank on Yourself with Lane Kawaoka. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Welcome, everyone, to our latest episode. It is absolutely beautiful here in Chicago. It is fall, and I love it. It's not just fall. If you're in Chicago, it's not just fall. You have autumn. That's right, autumn. The leaves change. They're falling heavy all over. It's gorgeous, and they're falling heavy on my back porch, too. Now, I'm the kind of guy that likes to sweep that porch with a broom, but every single time I do it, I notice leaves are falling basically right behind me (laughs) as I'm brushing off yesterday's leaves, today's leaves fall. And even as I make my best efforts to keep things clean, as soon as I finish that job, yeah, and head back indoors, the deck is most certainly covered in leaves all over again. And I'm already gearing up. In a few months, I'm going to be doing the same thing, shoveling snow, where I shovel that snow and heck, the the snow is right back there when I finish up. Now, if you've ever wondered if God has a sense of humor, there's your answer. But what about our money? What about our money? Do we ever hurry and rush and stress to get that paycheck only to have it burn through our bank accounts and have to go out and run around all over again? If you've ever wondered if there was a better way to living life than just running the rat race, I've got an episode for you today. Imagine your house set up with a self-heated driveway to instantly and passively melt the snow while you're inside sipping your hot cocoa. That's the topic of our episode today. And with our wonderful guest, Lane Kawaoka, he's been investing now for over a decade and controls 2,600 units. As owner of crowdfundaloha.com, simplepassivecashflow.com, and reialoha.com, Lane is responsible for finding investment properties, analysis, and marketing. Mr. Kawaoka obtained a BS in industrial engineer and MS in civil engineering and construction management from the University of Washington. In addition to analytical engineering background, Lane has real-world experience in working as a project manager for over $230 million of capital construction projects in both the public and private sector. Working as a highly paid professional in corporate America, frustrated by the traditional wealth-building dogma, Lane was compelled to inspire and mentor other working professionals via his Top 50 Investing podcast at simplepassivecashflow.com. Lane, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. Aloha. Aloha. Absolutely, man. So you're calling all the way from the uh, snowy banks of Oahu, I think. Yeah, it's a little cool this morning. (laughs) uh, 70-something degrees. Oh, stop it. (laughs) We're recording this like around Christmas time. It's also a tropical paradise here in Chicago, where we're calling in from. But uh, (laughs) hey, let's jump in, man. So you started your financial journey in that Hawaiian paradise. Tell me the story. Take us to where you started making your own money and then walk us through where you are today. Yeah. So my first job, as we were talking earlier, was picking pineapples for seven fifty an hour. It was child uh, slavery level type of work. <laughs> right. And 
I saved that money to buy. The deal was I had to save half the money and put it into a Roth account because even at that point, my parents had the hindsight to know what the heck a Roth account was back in the 1990s. So I put it there, and that was where things started. It's just you know, and that kind of just indicative of like my the way I grew up. You save, you work hard. I eventually went to school to be an engineer, and then I graduated, and then saved up for that first property that I was never living in because I was working all the time on the road for my job, mm-hmm. and I turned it into rental, and that's uh, that was the start of it all. What did you learn in that first rental that you wish other first-time investors would already know? The taste of blood, my friend. <laughs> it, I bought it for three fifty with a eighty thousand dollars down payment. The mortgage was sixteen hundred a month, and the rents that got brought in were twenty two hundred a month. So twenty two hundred minus sixteen hundred. I didn't know anything about ex- keeping money aside for expenses or capex, but all I knew as an early twenty year old kid was that was a heck of a lot of beer money, mm-hmm. and that was just cash flow alone, not including mortgage pay down, appreciation, tax benefits. And I was mm-hmm. like, I got to do this again and again to get myself out of this rat race. Yeah, and so you have, man. So I want to know one how you socked together eighty grand for that down payment at such a young age. That's pretty awesome. Because uh, that's more than a couple of dollars from some pineapples. And uh, so was that just from your wages or had you other savings from before that? Yeah, I did some internships during college that I paid off my student loans pretty quickly. And I'm not, I may look 18, but I'm 34 years old today. So back then, student loans weren't that bad. It's not mm-hmm. as crazy as today. So Absolutely. that was actually possible. But yeah, I just, my starting salary was like 60, 70 grand out of college. And I just saved all of that. Essentially, I just ate ramen noodles and lived off the company dime as they traveled me around the country 100% of the time. Awesome. So as of today, you've got $230 million of capital construction projects in uh, public and private sector. That was in the work that you managed as an engineer. Is that right? Yeah, different private and public sector jobs. But yeah, I've left that life behind. No more W-2 anymore. Full-time investor. Cool. All right. So tell me what your financial life looks like today, what you like about it, what it's changed about you. And now that you've left the rat race, so to speak, just paint the picture of where life is today. Yeah, there's this thing we, we talk about a lot, right? FI, financial independence, when your, mm-hmm. your income exceeds your expenses from your passive investments. And I crossed over that point recently and um, Congratulations. it actually does happen, but it takes mm-hmm. a really long time to do. It mm-hmm. took me about a dozen years, but yeah, now I get to live a life of choice as opposed to the obligation of having to go and dress up and put pants on and go to the office to do a stupid meeting that nothing gets done to mm-hmm. interact with people that just want to create more work. I do, projects that I want to do. You know, I do my podcasts, I invest in deals, and I uh, wake up whenever I want. Mm-hmm. How do you know what deals to invest in? What are some of your metrics for picking the right things? What kind of real estate do you want to get into? I mean, it's a huge universe. Syndication, rental properties, flips, buying on terms. Tell us what your specialty is. What do you like to do? What's in your real estate portfolio? Yeah, so I started buying um, properties, just single family homes, just to get started when I didn't have that much money. 
Um, but for the most part, I focus in on more recession-proof assets that are like for workforce housing. So your class B and C type of housing in secondary and tertiary markets where the income you bring in, the rental income you bring in will exceed the expenses and the mortgage payments and thus you get cash flow. And you say recession resistant because folks got to live somewhere when the market tanks, folks typically move from the high-end luxury apartments or whatever down to a class B or C where they're still comfortable, but it's not a down neighborhood, but it's you know a little rough around the edges, but it still produces an income. They get the nice place to stay. You get the cash flow even when markets turn. Is that right? Most people in America don't make over $60,000 a year. They mm-hmm. spend about $600 to $900 a month in rent. And Mm -hmm. those are the people that are doing pretty well. When I was living in Seattle, and I think for a lot of my California clients and Hawaii clients, they get huge sticker shock. Like you can buy a $100,000 house that's like rents for $1,000. And that's pretty good, better than average. Yeah, we buy those all day long. Mm -hmm. Okay, so stepping back for a minute, why did you choose real estate as opposed to a bunch of basket of mutual funds and 401k and all that? the average way to invest. If the average financial investor or advisor was on this uh, podcast, he or she would be like, just buy some term insurance, invest in the market, hope and pray that the market goes up. It's going to do 12% a year. Don't you know that? Dave Ramsey must tell it, so it must be true. How is it that you chose real estate and turned your back on the stock market and traditional retirement plans? Yeah, I withdrew my entire 401k maybe about a handful of years ago, like four or five years ago. But in the beginning, when I was just out of college for four or five years, I was putting almost the max in there every year. Like a little boy, like how I was told. But, you know, numbers don't lie. Even in a bull market, like my real estate, just the returns on that exceeded much more. I think when you're investing in retail investments, such as the Wall Street stuff, there's so much middlemen taking money out of there and they get paid Mm -hmm. regardless if you make money and it's not 12%. Mm -hmm. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. It's more like 8%. But when you're investing in real estate, you're cash flowing that eight to 15%. And that's not including mortgage pay down tax benefits and any appreciation you're getting on leveraged properties. So that's where you can possibly three, four X that eight to 10% that you get in the stock market. So it took me a really long time because you're conditioned through society that, you know, don't take money out of your retirement account, stay to the 401k, but numbers don't lie. I I chose to get off that path a long time ago and look, I mean, I don't have Mm -hmm. a day job now. It works. Mm -hmm. And you currently control over 3000 units across, looks like mostly the Southeast, a little bit up the Midwest there, Washington state as well. And then you've got a few rentals in Alabama, Birmingham area. So it's working, whatever's happening. And I don't hear you um, regretting dumping that, whatever it was, 401k or whatever. Let's talk a little bit about your exposure and use of a bank on yourself type whole life policy, infinite banking, bank on yourself. Can you tell me why that's an important part of your portfolio, how that fits in to the real estate world? Yeah. So for a lot of more um, affluent investors, half a million dollar net worth and above, but certainly the accredited guys who have a net worth of a million dollars or over, it, to use a whole life insurance banking policy where you optimize the liquidity and cash value, not so much for the death payout 
or the interest rate, it allows us to flex our own money. And the way I use it, I call it an opportunity fund. So not to be confused with opportunity zone fund investing, which I'm not a big fan of, but when I go into deals today, I go into private placements, uh, typically $50,000 minimum investments, and they come out sporadically. I only go after the, the good deals I like, which isn't every month or every three months or anything like that. It's very sporadic. So I need to have some kind of a mechanism for me to hold on money, make a little bit of a yield that's tax-free and uh, sheltered from litigators, and then uh, go into that deal. And maybe it's a there's a deal right after each other. I need a little bit of a buffer. So that's how I use this as my opportunity fund. You said a few things there I want to touch on, but I like that you refer to it as an opportunity fund. Most people, the traditional financial planners, again, would say, let's have three to six months of emergency fund. And that's where life is wrapped around emergencies. You go from one emergency to the next but Lane, you're describing an opportunity fund, and I've referred to the policies the exact same way, so I, I think we're right on pay, track there. It is an emergency fund for sure if you needed it, but more importantly, it's your contingency cash for opportunities. You know, it's a big bucket of liquid money that you can draw on when you see an opportunity. Very cool. Talk to me about litigation protected. You, I think you used a phrase similar to that. How is this maybe better than your money just sitting in a checking account in terms of just lawsuit protection. As a real estate investor, as a landlord, I assume that lawsuits are a dime a dozen for you. In fact, I heard a statistic, and you might know this better than I would, Lane, that over a 20-year period, nine out of 10 real estate investors have at least one lawsuit on their desk. It's not a matter of if, but when. Um, another reason why I, I'm, I'm moving more towards, I'm selling off my single family homes, my direct investments and getting out of being a landlord and more being an investor on the LP side. And that's the beauty of being an LP. You got limited liability. Um, Absolutely. But it's a transition once you become more of an affluent investor. That, mm -hmm. And it, it's funny, like it gets, investing and wealth management gets easier and simpler as your net worth goes up. You know, that using the, uh, the infinite banking policy, the whole life policy is a ways of stuffing some cash somewhere that's, I'm not a lawyer, so I don't know like how it really works. But as they told me, it's off the table, similar to how your 401k is off the table of litigators. Like we said before, the 401k is, isn't going to get you anywhere. It's just going to yeah. make the companies rich. Yeah, you're, you're right. There's some state-by-state -state lawsuit protections of life insurance cash values, along with retirement accounts to some degree as well, but there's some of the other limits that you already brought up about 401ks, IRAs. What about, do you have an, a, do you have an opinion on self-directed IRAs relative to whole life insurance as a place to do real estate investing? Do you have an opinion about that one way or the other? A lot of people will come to us saying, hey, should I do bank on yourself type policies or self-directed IRAs? I got an idea or two, but I'd love to know your thoughts. Yeah, I like both? the infinite banking a little bit better. I'm not a big fan of the self-directed IRA or self-directed Roths. Um, because a lot of the deals that I go into, we do cost segregations on the deal. So we get a huge chunk of the depreciation up front. Say some and more about that. Some of the tax advantages like cost segregation are not available in a self-directed IRA. You're going to have to pay UBIT or UDFI tax on that mm. leverage portion 
um, mm -hmm. it's a hit. So you might as well use non-qualified money for investing in bigger deals or even direct real estate. But maybe I'll explain like cost segregations a little bit. Yeah, for please go for so it. Most, most people who are investing in real estate understand that you're able to depreciate the value of the property over 27 year, years at a straight line depreciation. Okay, so like on your tax return, give us a rough sketch of an example so folks can follow along. Yeah, so just to use some rough numbers off the top of my head, that Seattle property that was worth 350, you're able to take the building property, not the land, just the building value, divided by 27 years. And I believe I was able to take $7,000 depreciation every year for 27 years, which is awesome because that typically that brings your income down quite a bit. But, you know, that's fine and dandy all, but it, it pales in comparison to when you do a cost segregation, you're using the new tax laws of bonus depreciation. Mm -hmm. So in a lot of these deals, we're able to write off a huge portion of that asset all in year one. So of so, that $350,000 Washington property, even a round number of what you're able to write off in that first year? That's hard to say, but I would say maybe about a hundred to $200,000, boom, year one. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's uh, mean, what we're I, seeing. That's cost segregation adds to that too, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's just something that like a lot of the mom and pa investors that are still investing in rental properties here and there aren't getting because it costs five, 10 grand to do a cost segregation. So if your asset is not worth a million dollars or more, that's just not worth it. But when you're mm -hmm. going into these bigger apartment syndications, that's five, 10, $20 million, it totally makes sense. So back all the to, tax benefits go down to the LPs the same. Mm -hmm. It gets passed along to the LPs, those passive investors like yourself. So awesome. Okay. So back to self-directed IRAs and life insurance, a, a weird combination of, of things to discuss on this show, but it's, I think, important. So first of all, you've got the trouble of how do you get enough money into a Roth IRA or a traditional IRA in order to have enough money to do a large deal like you just described, million plus whatever um, property or multi-million dollar property. But then you lose inside the IRA, you're saying you lose a lot of those tax advantages, accelerated depreciation, cost segregation. If it's in the IRA, all you get is tax deferral. And every situation is different, right? The guys I work with are mostly higher paid professionals. They have a high active income mm -hmm. and we're trying to mitigate their, their income today to get them into the, the, the nice 15% range or, or so. Right. Therefore, we'd, ra we'd rather get those deductions today. So therefore, to do that, we don't invest via retirement vehicles. Yeah. Being more hands-on with your investment, like uh, directly investing versus using retirement vehicles, you get more tax advantages like you've been describing. One other thing that I've really found is a big problem with self-directed IRAs is that there's still a required minimum distribution in retirement. So most folks, Lane, you probably know this, but most folks may not know that there's a required distribution on your IRA it has to come out once you hit your early 70s. And if there's real estate in that IRA, that real estate must be reappraised every single year, which adds a ton of costs to if you've got 50 properties or 100, deal, 100 doors in there. And they force you to liquidate the real estate to pay that RMD if you don't have the cash flow for it. Yeah, me being in my 30s and even for my clients in their young 50s, you got a lot of years to get to that 
the RMD period. And it just, if you do the math, I would say people do the math. The numbers don't lie. Mm -hmm. the, the money leverage and you getting the tax benefits today is probably going to likely be greater than keeping it in a retirement account, supposedly with these tax shelters. But yeah, it's a very counterintuitive way, right? You're, you're conditioned. No, Mark, you can't do that. You can't dip into your retirement account. Well, so you use life insurance and I'm sure you look, uh, when you tell that to folks, people look at you funny. Why do you use life insurance as a place for your opportunity fund? Why not just use your checking account, savings? What is it about the life insurance that you uh, would prefer over just paying cash for deals? And or, you know, I'm sure you use a mixture of bank debt and other things, but why do you use these policies to help you with your real estate portfolio? Yeah, the litigation protection, like we said, making a little bit of a yield, I think I get like 4%, but that's tax-free. And then also when I withdraw the money and take a loan, I'm using it for business. And I know you're saying you used a little bit to take a vacation, but as far as I'm concerned, every time I take money out of that thing, it's for business. Therefore, it's a business expense and I get to write off that thing, there you write go. That thing off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were going to go on that vacation anyway. And by the way, we went to your beautiful shores in Hawaii there uh, for that trip. But we use it for real estate investing, business investments, things that create cash. So you're using that. And what does it do for you? What is it specifically that using the life insurance has allowed you to do with, with your real estate portfolio? It's able to smooth out my liquidity. Obviously, I don't want to have too much liquidity. If you, As an investor, you're trying to get your equity working for you. Most investors have dead, lazy equity in equity in their properties or other rental properties or their primary residence. You got to get that working. But what I've done is I've stripped the equity out of all my assets and then I use it as a one holding place in my life insurance. Mm -hmm. So I can watch that thing like a hawk. And I don't know if I really need more than $100,000, $200,000 or more of liquidity. Mm -hmm. That's the point that I know that I have too much and I need mm -hmm. to start investing it. That's great. Very good. And you've gone from 12 single family homes to thousands in a short period of time from 2015 to 2018. How do you pick your deals? How do you raise money? How do you syndicate these deals? What are you looking for? And how do you scale from 12 to a couple thousand in that short period of time? Yeah, I just go in passive into these larger deals and they just happen to pick up 300 units at a time and it gets easier and I don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. The general partners take care of all the work. Mm -hmm. But these days I'm part of the general partnership because I've been in so many deals and I bring my Rolodex and my investors with me. How do I pick deals? I put it through my analyzer and I get the rent rolls, the P&Ls. I see if it's making money today before we buy it. And then I mm -hmm. run my comps and I do my own due diligence myself. And, but that's half of it. The other half is the people who you're working with. One rule I have is never work with anybody you don't know or trust. I've lost 40 grand working with unscrupulous character before and I only go off of referrals. Mm, yeah. Boy, it's hokey to say your net work is your net worth, but it's so true. The more you can develop good friendships with people that you respect, the net worth, the BMI average, the health, the longevity, the happiness quotient, it's all going to be averaged out by your five closest folks, they say. And I've learned that to be true. What would you say? Is that, has that been the case in your story yeah, as well? Yeah, I totally agree. I think when you're under $500,000 net worth, yeah, you got to grind, right? It took me to buy my first property in 2009 and get up to 11 properties took me like dang near six, seven years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could probably get it done a little quicker if I knew what I knew now, but 
like at that point, my growing my network at that point really didn't matter. I just needed to get my net worth up there. But half a million dollars or more, or even a hundred thousand dollar net worth and more, it's all your network. So we've talked about three keys to success, and I'm going to summarize them so far, Lane. And then I want to hear at least one more that we haven't already touched on, and you can pick anything you want. I heard you say that the bank on yourself type whole life policy is a key asset in your portfolio for big buckets of opportunity money, smart tax advantages in the real estate space specifically. It's almost like the government has given us a series of incentives to do certain things with our money. You're not going to get a tax advantage for having your money in credit card debt. You can't write off the interest on your credit cards. You can write off the interest on and a lot of other things in real estate. Your carpet, your home repairs, your depreciate the accelerated depreciation. So that was the second thing, taxes. Third asset in your tool belt is your friends, your family, your connections, your Rolodex. Uh, what's another one that you feel like has brought you to the success you're at today? Just keep buying things where the income exceeds the expenses and then some. If if you keep doing that's the basic, right? That's you if a recession comes and then you have to drop the rents, you'll be fine. Don't get cash flow investing confused with what the people were doing in the big short, buying spec houses or flipping houses with their pants down. Mm, you don't yep. want to get caught with that. Cash flow is king. Cash flow is what allows you to go after the next opportunity and the next one. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Very good. What can you leave with our listeners so that they can chase you down, learn more about what you've got to offer, Lane? Yeah, um, they can check out my podcast, Simple Passive Cashflow, found on iTunes and Google Play. In the beginning, it was mostly me picking up turnkey rentals, single-family homes, but obviously the, my strategy has changed over the years, um, doing more private placements and syndications for affluent investors. So um, that's simplepassivecashflow.com? Yeah, and my email is lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. Awesome, man. You're, we're all watching you. We're all hoping for your best success. And I'm sure there'll be some folks from today's episode who want to learn more using their own bank on yourself policies, or if they don't have one yet, getting started and using their policy for projects and strategies that you can show and teach. And you've got a, a mastermind group too, your tribe. Do you want to share anything about that as well? Yeah, I have a passive investor accelerator. We do Zoom calls bi-weekly and it's just a good group of it's a smaller group of 50, 60 people who are all high pay professionals, um, short on time. So um, like we said, your network is your net worth. It's like shooting fish in a barrel with um, people just like in your situation. So we just found a way for you, our listener, to dive deeper and to build your financial wealth uh, by building your uh, connections and friendships and partnerships. So Lane, I want to thank you very much for being on our show today, and I can't wait to see what you do next. All right. Thanks for having me, Mark. Well, thank you again, Lane, for a great episode and great content. You know, some takeaways I had from this episode. First, do you have your cash off the table when playing poker? Strange question, I realize. But if you're playing poker and you've got sharks across the table, you want that cash out of their reach. So finding assets like life insurance contracts that are exempt from bankruptcy and lawsuits are especially valuable when you're in business and especially in the real estate space. Second takeaway I had from this episode, do you have your money in a self-directed IRA or self-directed 401k? Research the fees and the taxes due 
on self-directed IRAs. Look up unrelated business income tax, or what they call UBIT tax. Look that up. Look up the rules around required minimum distributions on IRAs. Consider how you're going to have to sell all of your real estate, some or all of your real estate, to satisfy the government's required distributions in your retirement. And finally, third takeaway, take a look at your network. That was a big topic in our discussion with Lane. Who would you like to be introduced to that can take you one step closer to your goals? Remember, guys, you are the average of the five people you hang around with. If you stick inside your crab bucket, every time you try to climb out, those other crabs are going to grab those legs of yours and pull you back down. So find the next mastermind that you can be a part of to level up your financial game. And that's it for today's episode, guys. Thank you again for joining me for another episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.